Welcome to the Bocas Bro Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Stanko, and let's get into it. Not six hours or so after we posted our Wednesday episode, things finally came to a head on the Eastern Front out in Europe. Russia began its attack on Ukraine, and fighting is currently underway. I'm sure you've heard about this by now. Um, here's the thing. There's a lot of footage. There's a lot of claims making its way around the Internet right now. Uh footage of battles and reports of casualties. Here's the thing. Propaganda is in full swing at this point on both sides. There is a lot that we haven't had confirmed. There is a lot of footage out there that's fake footage. There's a lot of numbers being reported that aren't real numbers. It's really hard to discern what's fact and what's uh, purely, again, propaganda meant to increase the morale of both sides in this conflict. Uh, that is why I went out and found a Russian person who I'm currently interrogating, trying to get some accurate information about what's going on over there. You capitalist pig dogs! He tried to take my vodka! I like it rough, but not that rough! Nikolai, you don't get okay? You don't eat, you don't sleep! You just stay there! Russians. What are you gonna do? But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, um, this has been really kind of a make or break moment for the Ukrainian people right now who are banding together, soldiers and civilian alike. They're really giving it to the Russians as best they can, which honestly is one of the most inspirational things I've certainly seen come out of Europe in a very long time. You know, when we saw the fall of Afghanistan, right, you saw photos of tens of thousands of people you know, swarming the, the airports, trying to escape the Taliban. And there were certain criticisms coming from political commentators out there talking about why should we defend a country that isn't willing to defend itself? That's, of course, operating under the assumption that Afghanistan was ever an actual nation rather than just a desert sort of no man's land out there that exists that's basically, basically just composed of a bunch of different power factions fighting for control at any given moment. But Ukraine is proving right here that they are, in fact, a nation, that they are, in fact, a people, and that they are going to fight to the very end for what's theirs, their homes, their lives, and their right to life. You know, looking at this sort of thing right now, it, 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 it does make me beg the question, do we as, as, as a nation, as an American nation, possess that kind of resolve? You know, in World War II, the reason that Japan didn't try a land incursion was because they knew the entire population was armed. But if something like that were to happen today, if Russia were to storm the beaches of Miami and California and begin an invasion here, would we have the kind of resolve that the Ukrainian people seem to have? Would we band together, fight together, bleed together, die together? I'm not so sure. 
I'm not so sure, not on a mass scale, because isolationism when it comes to foreign politics is not something that stops merely at foreign politics. We are an isolated society. We do operate on a live for today, fight for me kind of mentality in a very widespread way. We're not seeing that out of Ukraine right now, and that is very inspiring. And it is very inspiring to see the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, be offered to be evacuated out of Ukraine by our government. One good thing that they've done so far. And for him to say, no, I'm going to stay. I don't need an evacuation. I need ammunition, right? It is very inspiring, to say the least. Not to mention that uh, Ukraine is outmanned and outgunned when it comes to Russia. Uh, by a rather significant margin. Um, at this, you know, honestly, I honestly I am surprised. I mean, it's been what uh, four or five days now since Russia launched its invasion. I thought it would have been over by now. Hand to God, I, I thought it would have been over by now. I thought within 48 hours of Russia invading Ukraine that the conflict would have been resolved, that Russia would have kicked Ukraine's ass, and they haven't. Not just yet. Again, obviously, we don't know the exact numbers of anything at this point, uh, so I can just give you the highlights, more or less. Uh, well, let's get on the sanctions uh, situation first when it comes to Russia, shall we? So last week, Biden announced a series of wish-washy sanctions against Russia that really is nothing that was going to impact them in any kind of major way. There was a reason why the Russian ambassador to both Sweden and the United States both came out saying that we don't really care, we're going to survive this, Putin doesn't give a crap about sanctions. It's because Putin had, in Russia, had spent over eight years accumulating about $630 billion in anticipation of tough sanctions. And the sanctions that Biden announced weren't really going to do anything in the first place, primarily because he refused to crack down on Russia in terms of energy trade, right? Because let's not kid ourselves here, there is one thing that Russia exports, one thing, and it isn't sugarcane, okay? It is fossil fuels, all right? And here's Anthony Blinken answering the question whether or not we as a nation were going to continue to buy fuel from Russia despite the Ukraine crisis here. Russia's economy is fueled by gas and the U.S. is a consumer. So would the U.S. consider cutting off oil and gas purchases from Russia? Well, what we're doing, uh, Nora, across the board is making sure that we in inflict maximum pain uh, on, uh, on Russia for what uh, President Putin has done, while minimizing any of the pain uh, to us. We're in full coordination with, uh, with other countries, both consumers and producers alike, to minimize any impact that this may have on, uh, on energy prices and on gasoline. Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yes, we're, we're cracking down on them with these back-breaking sanctions that Joe Biden himself openly said was never meant to deter anything. No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show this is going to take time. That in direct conflict with what Kamala Harris had said. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The deterrence effect of these sanctions is still a meaningful one, especially because, remember also, we still sincerely hope that there is a diplomatic path out of this moment. The purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to try to deter Russia from going to war. As soon as you trigger them, that deterrent is gone. And until um, uh, the last minute, uh, as long as we can try to bring uh, a deterrent effect to this, 
uh, we're going to try to do that. Our hope is that uh, Putin will decide to de-escalate, uh, that he will feel uh, the threat of the uh, sanctions, what the impact will be on the Russian economy, uh, on the Russian people, on the people who surround him. Uh, they are meant to have a deterrent impact, that he will feel the weight of being a pariah in the global community. The way we look at this, broadly speaking, and Dilip touched on this a little bit, is that we do see them as having a deterrent impact, right? It doesn't mean they're 100 percent foolproof. The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. And in order for them to work to deter, they have to be set up in a way where if Putin moves, then the costs are imposed. But now some new developments are underway. Now certain Russian banks are being kicked off of the SWIFT system. Now, SWIFT is a secure messaging system that connects financial institutions around the world. Now, a number of leading Russian banks are currently being removed from that system, making it exponentially harder for Russia to engage in any uh, of its exports. It's making it so that the $630 billion that they've built up over the last eight years is very, very hard to ask, access. It's frozen, right? Right? We will ban the transactions of Russia's central bank and freeze all its assets to prevent it from financing Putin's war, says European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Lyon. Now, the United States has also banned U.S. dollar transaction with the Russian central bank in a move designed to prevent it from accessing its, quote, rainy day fund, said senior U.S. administration officials. Our strategy, to put it simply, is to make sure that the Russian economy goes backward as long as President Putin decides to go forward with his invasion of Ukraine. This is a big financial blow to Russia. Uh, that being said, this is not the Biden administration's doing by any means. This is something that was asked last week, whether or not that they were going to remove Russian banks from the Swiss system or, or move on that. The sanctions that we have proposed on all their banks have of equal consequence, maybe more consequence than SWIFT, number one. Number two, uh, it is always an option, but right now that's not the position that the rest of uh, Europe wishes to take. No, no, make no mistake. This is the European countries right now who are leading this charge. Biden's just kind of tailgating it at this point. It's because Biden doesn't have a spine. Biden doesn't have the means or the wherewithal to stand up to Putin on any level whatsoever. He doesn't have the guts to throw a punch. That's the reality of it. He'll let the Europeans throw a punch and he'll stand behind them casually saying, yeah, yeah, go for it, man. It's all you. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. And honestly, he's dumbfounded by all of this. He's dumbfounded that Russia would go to war. All of these Democrats are dumbfounded that Russia would go to war, right? Because there's this idea that if a, if a nation is just civilized enough, right? If they grow economically, if they engage in free market capitalism and, and, and become such a prosperous nation that they could have McDonald's on every corners, right? That war just ceases to be a thing, right? This falls into the same kind of logic that Marxism does, right? Marxism, which states that human beings are essentially malleable widgets that under the right circumstances can be molded and engineered in such a way that would allow utopia to exist. Marxism doesn't take into account human nature. In the same way that this leftist ideology that states, you know, if we just make a country rich enough, then things like totalitarianism, things like war over resources or ideology, they just become irrelevant, right? Right? If people in Afghanistan were as wealthy as, say, people in Belgium or people in the U.S. or people in Canada, right, then they wouldn't need to fight all the freaking time. This doesn't take into account human nature. That's something that's absent in the thinking of leftist ideology. 
Human nature exists. Conflict is always going to arise. It can be for ideological beliefs, it could be for religious beliefs, it could be over resources, it could be for any number of things. But conflict is always going to exist. You can't erase conflict from human nature, period. The only thing that you can do is sure up your defenses and implement a number of deterrences in order to make sure that people don't act on the impulses that they have within them to engage in conflict. This entire situation would have been entirely avoidable if Biden just had the backbone to put U.S. troops in Ukraine and to draw a line with Russia and said that if you move on this state, you will incur the wrath of the United States military. It didn't even have to be true. He just had to implement that deterrence. All right, that's all. But he wouldn't do that. I mean, he'll send troops over to Europe, sure. Right, he'll do that. He's sending them to a number of nations right now where no war is breaking out at all. Right, just in case Russia moves on these other nations. Right, and the question isn't whether you, whether you think that Russia will attack these other nations and our troops will have to go in harm's way. The question is, do you believe that Biden believes that? The answer is no. He would never send troops to a place where he actually believed there was a threat of them being in harm's way. Right? Because Biden doesn't want conflict. He just wants to throw his hands up in the air and hope everything's going to be okay and then take the credit for all the stuff that he didn't do. But ensuring that war does not occur requires you to take a certain amount of risks. And I have a big issue with political commentators, these politicians and these newscasters going out there and talking about we shouldn't be sending our troops over into Ukraine to fight somebody else's war. We shouldn't be putting our troops at risk. I mean, what's happening in Ukraine is evil and awful. Yeah, sure, but we shouldn't be putting our people at risk. That is akin to saying that, yeah, it's evil and awful for people to break in on other people's homes and, and rob and rape them, right? But we shouldn't dispatch the police to those calls because we wouldn't want to put police at risk. The reality is, is that United States soldiers, and I'm friends with a number of them, current military and former military, they take an oath to protect the Constitution of the United States, to protect the United States and her allies from foreign aggressors. That is what they do. If you speak to a number of them who enlisted, you'll be hard-pressed to find ones who say, yeah, I want to be stationed in Maryland. Yeah, I want to be stationed in California. No, they go where they are needed. They defend us. They defend our interests. They defend our allies. They defend our Constitution with their lives so that we don't have to. That is something worthy of praise. That is the most honorable thing almost anyone anywhere could do. It makes you, me, and everyone listening right now and everyone else in this country eternally indebted to them. That is why we honor the flag. That is why we honor their sacrifice, their commitment, and everything that they put on the line. But that is the oath that they are taking, is to put it all on the line. In the same way that a police officer takes an oath to uphold the law, and to protect the property and the citizenry of the people of the United States, I'm sorry, to protect the property and the citizenry of the state municipalities that they represent. Right? Saying we don't want to send soldiers into conflict to defend our allies and our international interests is akin to saying that we shouldn't send firefighters to buildings that are on fire because we wouldn't want to put firefighters at risk. We shouldn't send cops to burglary calls because we don't want to put cops at risk. No, there are jobs that demand risk. There are jobs that people who take these oaths and enlist embrace. And that might sound callous, but it is a fact. And do I want to see U.S. troops die? No, absolutely not. 
Do I want to see them die in foreign soil? Foreign soil? A no, absolutely not. And every life lost is absolutely a tragedy. Every single one. But it's not about how many are at risk today. You can't just, when, when you're talking about foreign affairs, you can't just think in today. You can't live for today. You have to be thinking about tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, and 10 years from tomorrow, right? Because guess what? Did Bill Clinton and his isolationist mentality in the 1990s save U.S. troops from going overseas and fighting the Taliban as they were accruing in Afghanistan or whoever, whatever terrorist organization it was at that time? Did that save lives that day? Was it the right decision? Did it save U.S. lives that day? Sure. What about five years after? What about five years after in Afghanistan? We got 9-11. Was it the right choice? Were there more Americans saved in the long run? No. You nip the threat in the butt early on. Because if you don't, it will always blow back in your face. These are people who do not respect borders. These are people who do not care about your well-being. They've made that perfectly clear. Russia doesn't. Taliban doesn't. China doesn't. And if you give them room to grow, they will grow. And it will come at the expense of our soldiers' lives, our citizens' lives, our allies' lives. That is the reality. You save 100 people today by sacrificing 10,000 tomorrow. And you have to think in those terms. You have to think ahead because these things always trickle back down and beat us over the head until we learn our lesson. But we never learn our lesson. Isolationism is not the answer to anything. It makes you feel good in the moment, but it costs us everything tomorrow. That's the reality. But uh, in regards to Ukraine, uh, there are a number of interesting things going on outside of just the main conflict. Um, leave it to our genius Hollywood elites to display their absolute stupidity and insanity on a regular basis. Sean Penn, you know, the actor from Mystic River, um, he's in Ukraine right now documenting the uh, conflict. He's filming a documentary on the, on the whole thing. He's out of his mind. He's out of it. He's going to get himself killed. And I, before you say, well, he's, it's a very brave thing what he's doing. It's a very brave thing what he's doing. Um, let me just remind you, Sean Penn was a personal friend of Hugo Chavez, right? Let's, do you, do you want to hear his, his eulogy response to the death of Hugo Chavez? Shall I bring that up? Today, the people of the United States lost a friend it never knew it had, and poor people around the world lost a champion. I lost a friend I was blessed to have. My thoughts are with the family of President Chavez and the people of Venezuela. Sean Penn has visited with Fidel Castro and the drug kingpin El Chapo. He has buddied up and chummied up with some of the most awesome scum in modern history. He does not have a moral bone in his body if he thinks Hugo Chavez, a mass murderer, dictator who ran Ven Venezuela into the ground, was a good person and a friend to poor people everywhere, right? Because his form of governing was amazing. Venezuela, right? It's a paradise, right? If you go there, though, be sure to bring your dog with you. You might want something to eat while you're there. No, Sean Penn is a complete buffoon, all right? He just is. He's a far leftist 
moron through and through and he's gonna he's gonna get himself killed he's going to get himself killed honest to god it's just in it's just insane and he's not the only celebrity who has felt the need to throw their ring in the hat regarding this whole ukraine uh, debacle uh anna lynn mccord you might know her from uh 90210 and Apparently that's it. Uh, she had some words for President Putin in a form of slam poetry that she put out uh, for the president of Russia. She had this to say, if I was your mother, you would have been so loved. It's kind of a weird start. Uh, hold in the arms of a joyous light. You mean, you know, I. This is just this is just getting kind of weird. I, I'm just gonna let uh, Anna Lynn McCord say it for for me here. Dear President Vladimir Putin, I'm so sorry that I was not your mother. If I was your mother, you would have been so loved, held in the arms of joyous light. Never would the stories plight the world unfurled before our eyes, a pure demise of nations sitting peaceful under a night sky. If I was your mother the world would have been warm. So much laughter and joy and nothing would harm. I can't imagine the stain, the soul-stealing pain that the little boy you must have seen and believed and the formulation of thought quickly taught that you lived in a cruel, unjust world. Now, it is important to note that Anna Lynn McCord is 34 years old and she has no children. And I know as somebody who is 25 myself, you know, fairly young speaking, that when I look at this 69-year-old man, I wish I was his parent too. <laughs> what the frick is wrong with these people? I mean, honest to God, it's just, it's just comedy. It's just comedy that writes itself, hands down. Now, in the greater point, I kind of understand where she's coming from. Let's not pretend as though Hitler's relationship with his father hasn't been the source of mass speculation as to his hatred for Jews, right? People theorize that it was his relationship with his father that led to him hating Jews, blah, 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 blah. He comes, becomes a tyrant that kills everybody. Of course, this goes into the whole nature versus nurture, art, nature versus nurture argument. And uh, Anna Lynn McCord, uh, honestly, I think it's a bullshit argument. Anna Lynn McCord, thinking that uh, if somebody just hugged Vladimir Putin more, that he wouldn't have become a tyrannical leader who is hell-bent on restoring the USSR, or rather the Soviet Union, and invading these neighboring territories. The idea that if Hitler just got more hugs as a kid, that he wouldn't have become the, the tyrant who went on to murder millions of innocent people. It's the reality is, is that it's not just nature or nurture. I'd like to think we live in a world where it can be both where you are a product of both the environment you were brought up in, as well as the affection you receive from your parents, right? We are not just one thing. We are human beings. We are complex individuals who are a great many things. All of your life experiences and all of your relationships therein tie in together to form you into the person that you are, the good and the bad. So no, uh, simple affection is not going to be enough to reform any child that grew up to become like Vladimir Putin, hands down. It's a combination of things. And if she thinks that this 34-year-old girl is going to be a mother to a kid in Russia 
and somehow that's going to make it all better with hugs and kisses. Give me a break, you freaking goon. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> in other just absolutely awful news, though, uh, the U.S. State Department has begun urging U.S. citizens to uh, remove themselves from Russia immediately. The problem is flights have already started to be canceled. You've really got to love the punctuality of the people in our government right now, right? They wait until, what, two, three days before Russia invades to tell citizens in Ukraine, after flights and travel have already been cut off, restricted, and removed, to tell U.S. citizens in Ukraine to remove themselves from Ukraine, and also you're on your own for that matter. We're not sending any help to get you out. They wait until flights, until the invasion is already underway, and until flights have already started to be canceled to tell U.S. citizens in Russia to get out of Russia. We're not coming for you if you don't. I mean, honest to God, what is wrong with these people? It's like they see the threats coming, they know they're coming, the threats are almost here, now they're here, now they're past the start line, and now we're saying, oh my God, something terrible's happened, please prepare. What the heck? They were talking about Russia invading Ukraine back in November, and they did nothing for months. For months they implemented no sanctions. For months they knew this was coming and they waited till days before the invasion to tell United States citizens that they're entirely on their own to get out of Ukraine. They waited until after the invasion to tell US citizens in Russia to remove themselves after flights have already been canceled. I mean, honest to God, it's, it's like, it's like the kid at a birthday party with a blindfold over his eyes trying to hit the pinata. Only instead of hitting the pinata, he's just beating the shit out of the birthday boy and completely oblivious. These people have no idea what's going on at any given moment. And innocent people, our innocent people, are going to lose their lives, are losing their lives as a result. And the innocent people in Ukraine are losing their lives as a result. It wouldn't have been that hard to just continue the shipments of javelins and ammunition that started under Trump. But they didn't. They did it until it was too late. I mean, honest to God. All of this, all of this just stems from both wild incompetence and insidious intentions of the worst kind the worst kind. We're going to cut off the pipelines in our country and we're going to green light the Nord Stream 2 and then backtrack and pretend like we were always against Nord Stream 2, right? We're going to cripple our economy and get it so gas is headed towards more than $4 a gallon. And meanwhile, still purchase fuel from Russia in the midst of an armed conflict. How unbelievably backwards is that? It's about as backwards as it gets. It's about as wicked as it gets. Hands down. Oh, boy. And to top it all off, if, if that's not enough, Elon Musk, Elon Musk is now an international hero. He's an international hero who has officially done more for the country of Ukraine than the United States ever has under Biden. And do you know why? Okay. Let's bring it up, shall we? So Musk was tweeted at by Mikhailo Vedorov, the vice prime minister of Ukraine, who said, uh, while you try to colonize Mars, Russia tries to occupy Ukraine. While your rockets successfully land from space, Russian rockets attack Ukrainian civil people. We ask you to provide Ukraine with Starlink stations and to address sane Russians to stand down. And Musk responded, Starlink service is now active in Ukraine. More terminals are en route. 
Okay, so you might be asking, what the heck is Starlink? Well, Starlink is a system that provides high-speed, low-latency broadband internet across the globe within each coverage area. Orders are fulfilled on a first-come, first-served basis. Using advanced satellites in a low orbit, Starlink enables video calls, online gaming, streaming, and other high data rate activities that historically have not been possible with satellite internet, right? So this man, this man single-handedly restored internet to an entire country currently under siege right now, which is a big deal in the midst of an armed conflict, to be able to communicate with the outside world and report what's going on. Elon Musk has done more for Ukraine than Joe Biden ever did, and he is a private citizen. What does that say about our state of affairs at the governmental level in this country? It's just, it's just honest to God. It's just, it's just no words for it. I wrote a book with close to 99,000 words. It was like just shy of 100,000 words, and I don't have the words to describe just how completely unbelievably backwards the morals are of the people running our country right now. Yeah, freaking A. <laughs> but uh, good on Elon Musk. Honestly, I, I, I really do like Elon Musk. I know it's like, it's e easy to look at these billionaires, right? Especially like, uh, is it Bill Gates? And to say that uh, they're all a bunch of, you know, spoiled a-holes who think that they know how to run their our lives better than, uh, well, better than we do just because they're uber wealthy. Um, Elon Musk, for the most part, has never really been like that. Elon Musk, uh, to his credit, the reason why I like him is because he's a super wealthy guy who actually does cool stuff with his money, right? Like, he'll make Tesla cars. He'll take people to space. He'll start missions to go to Mars. I mean... That's some cool stuff right there. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, like when, when Obama announced that he was like cutting the funding for NASA or whatever and that space exploration was essentially dead, I was like, well, it's kind of disappointing. You know, you see all those movies growing up about people going into outer space. It would have been kind of neat. And now Elon Musk, again, a private citizen, is leading missions right now to take private citizens to space. I mean, that's some big stuff right there. That's just freaking cool. It does kind of suck. I, I do I do kind of feel like as though it's something that's not really going to uh, become affordable until I'm an old man, sadly. I mean, you really got to advance it, expand it, and continue to fund money into it. I mean, the cheapest tickets right now are still going in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, if I'm not mistaken. So it's, it's a little too rich for my blood at this point. Um, nevertheless, nevertheless, good on Elon Musk. At least he is... <laughs> At least he is a so-called societal elite uh, who isn't a complete douchebag and uh, who actually does seem to genuinely care about holding himself to a higher standard and about helping people in need. All right, that is a true display of courage on Elon Musk's part right there. But in any event, in regards to international news, that wraps up our international news segment. So let's move on. All right, so if ever you needed evidence that California is slowly reverting into a desolate post-apocalyptic wasteland, please look no further than this. A 500-pound bear has broken into nearly 30 California homes. And I know what you're thinking, and the answer is yes, the bear is black. Sorry. <laughs> so. According to CNN, 
For months now, a 500-pound black bear has been roaming the streets and the Tahoe Key area, the, the Tahoe Keys area of South Lake Tahoe. Tahoe? I, I really don't give a crap. About 100 miles east of Sacramento. In the span of seven months, the animal caused extensive damage at 33 properties and forcefully entered 28 homes, according to a February 17th blog post by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Now, we actually do have uh, audio of one of those break-ins uh, for you here. Uh -huh. Hey, boo-boo, what are you doing with my picnic basket? Yo, best keep on stepping unless you want a taste of my gat, you punk-ass Wild stuff coming out of California. Wild, wild stuff. Um, Godspeed. Okay, it is time for our societal issue of the day. Okay, so uh, all humor aside, this is a rather serious issue. Darian Brown, the man who was arrested for the cold-blooded murder of Cash Gurnan, a four-year-old boy will not be standing trial. He's deemed clinically insane, I guess, by both his uh, legal representation and the prosecution. Uh, a little reminder for you of this man's crimes. Brown was arrested and charged with kidnapping and burglary last year after he allegedly snatched the sleeping four-year-old from his crib and brutally beat him to death, leaving his lifeless, bloody body in a street where it was found by a local jogger. Court documents and video su surveillance reportedly show. This man was shown on camera carrying this child shortly before he was uh, found beaten and stabbed several times, this, this four-year-old kid. And he's not going to stand trial. He's not going to stand trial. And his legal representation his attorneys, they had to say that, guess what? He can finally get the help that he needs so that he can assist us in his representation. Right, Darian Brown is being sent to a facility in Vernon um, to get the help that he needs. Now, I want to be perfectly clear. I'm 150% for people with mental illnesses receiving medical care that they need. I think there are a lot of homeless people out there who shouldn't be on the streets because they're, they're dangerous to themselves and to others and they do need legitimate help. But what happens when a disturbed individual crosses the line? What happens when they break the law? What happens when they take from someone that which can never be returned? What do you do? Do we still try to help them? I don't think so. There's no bringing back that four-year-old kid. There's no restoring what's been lost to his family. And, and, and what's, what, what's the logic here? Killing children is wrong, but only if you're a sane individual? No. No, no the time to help Darian Brown would have been well before anything like this ever happened. But it happened. It's too late now. And the idea that we should coddle insane individuals simply because they're insane and excuse their horrible crimes I think is a total and complete disservice to the justice system. It's a complete and total disservice to the victims of those crimes. I don't think that Darian Brown should be treated with, with kid gloves. I think anybody who brutally murders children, sane or insane, should spend the rest of their life 
in a cell about the size of a refrigerator box, never to see the light of day again. Plain and simple. I don't think the guy who shoved an Asian woman onto the train tracks in New York deserves to be treated with kid gloves just because he had some mental issues. I don't. I think crimes have to be punished. I think we have to be fair and equal in that punishment. And I don't think we should be excusing or ignoring the atrocity of those crimes because of the mental state of the person committing them. No, I, I, I don't think that Darian Brown should be sent to a clinic in Vernon. I think he should be sent to, consol uh, to solitary confinement for the rest of his life. Plain and simple. Insanity is no excuse at this point. It's too late for that. The time to help him was before something like this happened, and you could sit around and point fingers, but the fact of the matter is, is that a child has been brutally murdered, which means and Darian Brown is a violent and dangerous man who deserves to be rotting in prison for the rest of his life. And it's not even about what he deserves, it's about what's needed. Justice is needed for that family. And those actions have to be punished. They do. They should. That is what justice requires. That is what justice would demand. That recompense is paid for those crimes. Plain and simple. But um, in any event, uh, that is certainly my take on our justices, on our justice system's um, interpretation of the law when it comes to people with uh, questionable mental states. I I'm pretty consistent on this. Again, I don't think that should be relevant to the crimes committed, but especially when we're talking about these kind of crimes. This isn't somebody who was caught jaywalking or cheating on their taxes or maybe getting into a physical altercation with somebody on the street that resulted in a broken nose or something like that, all right? This is murder, murder. That's nothing that can come back, that's nothing that can be repaid, that's nothing that can be erased. And this is the people running our justice system, trying to erase it by trading him with kid gloves. No. No. My answer to that is no. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. But that is our societal breakdown for the day. Okay, so before we wrap up, uh, some quick little financial updates for all of you out there who like to buy things. Uh, Goldman Sachs has announced that their projections on inflation were off. Surprise, surprise. Um, no, apparently inflation is set to be quite a bit worse this coming year than initially anticipated. The inflation picture has worsened this winter as we expected, and how much it will improve later this year is now in question, Goldman Sachs economist wrote in a client report Sunday night. Given that uncertainty, Goldman Sachs is raising its inflation outlook. It expects that core PCE inflation, the Federal Reserve's preferred price metric, will decelerate to 3.7% at the end of this year. That's a jump from Goldman's previous forecast of 3.1% and almost double the Fed's goal of 2%. So the people over at Goldman Sachs are clearly very competent individuals who are completely capable of objectively looking at the, our current economic state, as well as objectively look at the impact of the policies coming out of this administration and their effects on our economy and inflation, I'm sure that they will never, ever, 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 ever be wrong about inflation going forward again. Or alternatively, there are a bunch of biased hacks who have been wrong about this every single time. Remember, inflation was transitory. That was all we heard about last year. Go back to July of last year, Jen Psaki out there saying that <laughs> people's 4th of July barbecues were actually cheaper by like 
59 cents this year and uh, last year in comparison to the year before. The official White House account tweeted yesterday, the cost of a 4th of July cookout is down 16 cents from last year. <laughs> 16 cents. There, there has been a reduction in some of the costs of key components of the 4th of July, a 4th of July barbecue. So that was it, what the tweet was noting. Right. Inflation transitory. And it's like, well, inflation is going to be here to stay through winter, uh, maybe spring of next year, uh, maybe winter of next year. Well, now it's looking like it's going to be a couple years out. Let's get something straight. Inflation is bad today. It's going to be worse tomorrow. It's going to be with us for a while. Why? Because the Biden administration decided to kick off its administration by pumping trillions of dollars into our economy needlessly and then proceeding to keep everything shut down after the pandemic was over, after we had a vaccine, and has encouraged people to stay in their homes and remain scared. It's driven inflation up to the point that it's completely erased any increase people have saw, seen in their paychecks right? It has proceeded to crack down on oil drilling in our country. Uh, it has proceeded to, to crack down on, on fracking, on, on things that would provide us with uh, energy independence and instead purchase our fuel, make us solely dependent on purchasing our fuel from places like Saudi Arabia and Russia, right? The policies of this administration have nearly entirely caused the situation that we are in now, okay? And no amount of finger pointing or crying about January 6th is going to make people forget that in October of 2020, prior to the election, gas was about $1.88 a gallon. And today it's on course to be over $4 a gallon. You can't blame the Ukraine situation for that. You can't blame Republicans for that. You guys have been the ones in charge. And your lackeys at Goldman Sachs can try and do damage control for you all they want, but guess what? People notice when they go to the store and they can't find the goods they need, and when they find the goods they need, they're more expensive. And when they go to the cash out line, right? They're going to notice that there's only one or two cashiers despite having eight freaking aisles because the place can't find employees. And when they go to fill up their car, they're noticing when they're spending 35, 40, $45 to fill up their tank in comparison to the 20 to 25 it cost just a year and a half ago. People might have short memories in this country, but they aren't that short, and especially not when it comes to money and luxury items and other necessities that we need to get through our day-to-day -day lives. Um, but uh, in any event, that is our show for today. I am going to be filming a reaction to Joe Biden's no doubt stellar State of the Union address that he's set to make on March 1st. Uh, that probably won't be, my reaction video probably won't be releasing on that until about Thursday. Um, I'll give you some updates on that on Wednesday's episode either way. But uh, in any event, I am your host as always, Joshua Stanko, saying please stay safe, please stay informed, and have a blessed day, a truly blessed day, guys. We will catch you next time. Oh, uh, hey, boo-boo. Uh -huh. I can't find your Wi-Fi network. You can reconnect to Wi-Fi from your Google Home app under devices, then setup.